0: One of the other rival schools that we see Epictetus criticizing, and criticizing rather heavily in his discourses, were what were called the academics. And the academics, like I put up here, are coming from Plato's academy, which is founded by Plato, the student of Socrates, one of the very first... Philosophical schools in Athens and has a long and illustrious history. In the course of that history, they eventually veer into skepticism. And skepticism had existed before the Academy I had gone that way. You have this guy Pyro, who is a skeptic, and skepticoi. You know, comes from the word skopein, which means to look into, to try to examine. As that's a word that Socrates uses quite a lot. And the skeptics, they focused on. On attaining knowledge and in criticizing claims to have knowledge or you know claims to have certain knowledge to be certain about things you know they didn't all have exactly the same position on, on you know what we could know and what we couldn't know but they really were focused on attaining knowledge about what we could doubt And some of them talked in terms of probability, saying, well, we can't be really sure about anything, but we can at least speak with probability about things being a certain way, or at least appearing to be a certain way. So the skeptics are people who who do, in fact, want to attain knowledge. They value it very highly, but they think that most of the claims that people make about having knowledge, whether these are epistemological claims or even ethical claims, are not, if we examine them, well-founded. And the skeptics, the academic skeptics, went after the Stoics pretty heavily. As a matter of fact, there were some important exchanges between the early Stoics and the academic skeptics writing back and forth. Unfortunately, we've lost most of this, but we do know quite a bit about it through authors like Cicero. By the time of Epictetus, the academic skeptics are well-established as a philosophical movement, approach. There's people also Epictetus is willing to say that are not directly members of the school, but, but sort of You know, live out that kind of uh, life as well. And so Epictetus thinks that it's important to look carefully at what is going on with these people who are academic skeptics. Are, Are they able to justify the sort of positions that they themselves are taking? Now, he has two really interesting discussions about this. One is in chapter five of book one, and there he frames it in terms of, it's called petrification or hardening to stone. That doesn't happen within the body, but happens within the soul or the mind of the person. And this is the, the Greek word for it, lithosis, literally turning into stone. So why is this an issue? Epictetus says that this turning to stone is viewed as a good state of character by the academic skeptics. So the question is, is it really a good state of character? If it is, then great, they, they're on to something. If it's not, then this is something wrong with the position that they're taking. This is something wrong with the philosophy as a way of life that they're pursuing. Epictetus says, there's two main ways that people end up having this hardening to stone going on within the soul. One happens within the reasoning faculty or the mind or the intellect. Depending, you know, there's different terms that he's using in the passage. He's not trying to distinguish, by the way, between these, these as different faculties. But you can think of this as a cognitive problem, right? They're not able to follow an argument that leads somewhere so they can be skeptical about it. I, I just don't get it. I'm not quite sure about this. And by the way, we see plenty of this in modern day philosophy and in many other places. I remember when I was in graduate school, this was a little bit of a tangent, it was very popular for people to say as a way of, of you know, trying to attack an opponent's argument, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. So Epictetus would say, oh, you don't know what the person's talking about? Well, that's on you. That's a problem with your mind, that's not necessarily a problem with their position or their argument or their explanation, right? So not being able to follow an argument step by step to understand the argument and most of all to not see contradictions in the position that one is actually holding, to be unable to grasp. That sort of thing. He gives, as an example of that, this interesting set of doubts about are we asleep and dreaming or are we awake? He says, do your senses tell you that you are awake? And the skeptic says, no. Any more than they do when in dreams I have the impression I am awake. And then he says to the guy, really? Is there then no difference between these two impressions? And the guy says, no. There isn't any. And Epictetus says, people like that you can't reach. They have turned to stone. It's not... Your fault you can't reach them. It's their fault they can't be reached because they have allowed that to happen to their intellect. He says, can I argue with this man any longer? What cautery or lancet shall I apply to him to make him realize he's deadened? Then there's another kind of skeptical hardening to stone. Epictetus says this is of the sense of shame and self-respect so that the person is not moved by seeing the contradiction and doesn't aim to overcome the contradiction and improve themselves. So when the person realizes there's something wrong, there's something missing, there's something inadequate about their reasoning processes and they don't think that that's a, a problem at all. Why does it have to do with the sense of shame or self-respect? Because a person who does actually feel something like that would say, oh, <laughs> I need to fix that. I, I would like to actually be consistent or that's a problem on my part. I should try to develop my intellectual traits. How did I let things go that far? Well, you know, some people, including the academic skeptics as Epictetus is portraying them, they don't do that. In fact, they see it as a good thing. They're able to not be tricked or moved by other people. So to go back to the example of the guy who can't tell whether he's in a dream state or whether he's awake, Epictetus says he does realize it, but pretends that he does not. He's even worse than a corpse. One man does not notice the contradiction, he's in a bad way. To not notice a contradiction, that's a problem. Another man notices it. He's, he's not moved and does not improve. He's in a still worse state. His self-respect and sense of shame have been lopped off. And his reasoning faculty has been, I will not say cut away, but brutalized. You know, taken down to the level of the animals. This is a very serious set of criticisms that he is raising there against the academics. He's going to raise some other interesting criticisms in chapter 20 of book 2. Basically, what he's saying is that the academics are going to use the same true and and evident propositions or principles that they will then deny when other people try to use them in order to establish their position. So how does this happen? Well, Epictetus tells us. says, one might consider as perhaps the strongest proof of a proposition being evident the fact that even the man who contradicts it finds himself obliged at the same time to employ it. For example, if a man should contradict the proposition that there is a universal statement which is true, it's clear he must assert the contrary and say no universal statement is true. But this is not true either. For what else does this assertion amount to then? If a statement is universal, it is false. Here's another example, he says, a man comes forward and say, I would have you know that nothing is knowable, but everything is uncertain. Or somebody else says, believe me, and it will be to your advantage when I say, one ought not to believe a man at all. Or again, someone else, learn from me, man, that it is impossible to learn anything. It is I who tell you this, and I will prove it to you if you wish. And Epictetus says, what is going on there? Right? He says, what difference is there between these people and whom shall I say, those who call themselves... Academics. O men, say the academics, give your assent to the statement that no man assents to any statement. Believe us Remember when we say no man can believe anyone. So, Epictetus's criticism here is that the academics themselves, in trying to undermine uh, knowledge, you know, ostensibly for the purpose of purifying it or finding something we can be absolutely certain about, are actually using the very principles and propositions that they claim to be showing, you know, not to be self evident or, you know, to be questionable or any of those sorts of things. And it really amounts to sort of a claim to authority on their own part, which is liable to take somebody in who has had this hardening to stone, but which the Stoic is going to look at and say, yeah, I'm not going to buy that. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. Above all, Keep studying these great philosophical works.